Hello and welcome to the One Deeper Podcast. Today's episode is, This is Your Brain on Plants. My guest today is Federico Zambale, and we talk about all things drugs, caffeine, other drugs, psychedelics, states of consciousness, what is consciousness, and many more interesting tidbits. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And I look forward to many more discussions about this and other topics with Federico. So please enjoy this conversation with Federico Sampala. And we're live. Anyway, how are you feeling? Had a had a had a late night last night? Oh yeah, yeah. it's it was my first uh, King's birthday um, All right. since I arrived here to the Netherlands. So yeah, I really wanted to live the entire experience. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm super tired. I went to a party uh, with a couple of friends that I have here. Um, yeah, it was nuts, but I'm. It has consequences, obviously. Obviously, obviously. I mean, uh, I should have. I mean. I, I should have celebrated, but I had so much to do. I just couldn't. <laughs> no, please, come on. Don't worry. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I'm glad you had a good time. But um, what I want to talk to you about, because like I was super surprised when I was just like looking at your research, how much it has to do with psychedelics, right? Yes. But like, okay, so I have a lot of, I have like, I have a, I have a lot of like, questions and i can imagine yes yeah. usually like, that happens when people uh discovers what i what i'm doing with my research no because like I, I mean okay so i'm not i'm not like my interest is not it's not actually like a hobbyist interest right like because i mean obviously it's a hobbyist because i'm not a professional researcher <laughs> but no, come on, yeah uh, but it's just like because i've had a long experience uh with psychedelics but i've never had really had the opportunity to talk so my my exposure and my knowledge is mostly from podcasts and books and stuff and i've never had the opportunity to, to talk to someone who has done this who is really done look at look at the research properly right so i'm pretty curious um do you uh have you listened to like some of the episodes of there's some amazing podcasts done by tim per- tim ferris uh-huh where he interviews like uh, some of the guys like roland griffiths uh, some of the guys who are doing the, the psychedelic research at John Hopkins and stuff. Yeah, I'll send you. The, I'll send you the links to those. Maybe you, you might like to listen, listen to them later. Yeah, for but sure. But anyway, I'm familiar right, so with the research they are doing there. But yeah, uh, it's the first time I hear about those podcasts. But yeah, I'll send you the stuff. Like, and uh, there's a couple of books that I wanted to read too. There's one called Your Mind on Plants, I think. Um, so actually, I'm actually curious about if you know anything about. Let's talk about. Let's talk about the most common psychedelic. Right, the one that you, one that everyone, one that everyone uses, is caffeine. Oh, <laughs> right. Well, it's a psychoactive compound, that's for sure. Right. Um, right. And yeah, and it's produced. It will be addictive, and yeah, that's that's a very good example, actually. I like it. Um, so what do we know about caffeine? Like, what, what do we, we know about, about caffeine? Well, it works. More or less, we have to understand that every drug or like the huge uh, part of them, they work um, trying to bind to the same proteins that endogenous molecules that we have in our body 
are using as their neural targets. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that neurons can communicate each other um, through serotonin, um, there's and psychedelics could work on those receptors that are already are they are not waiting for LSD or psilocybin, but actually for other uh, serotonin. The same happens with uh, caffeine. Basically, uh, from what I understand, there is this molecule called ATP um, that it's the usual, it's, how do you say it? It's like fuel for the cells. They really yeah. need that molecule to produce different kinds of actions. You can yeah. think in uh, ATP as the exchange currency in, yeah, exactly. in, so in the biological I, process. As far as I understand, it, ATP is like the, the currency of energy, right? Exactly. I mean, basically, if you take cyanide, it stops uh, that, that cycle from happening. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry, sidetracked. Side, side but yeah. Say, Sana, uh, yeah, if you take cyanide, uh, it binds... Like how it kills you, how it kills you is like it stops your cells from being able to use the... It takes uh, the position of the oxygen in the hemoglobin and things like that. Okay, uh, because right. it's super right. nucleophilic. And well, with <laughs> caffeine and ATP, happens something uh, quite similar. At some point, the already used ATP molecules are floating around, and there's this protein trying to check uh, the concentration of this uh, of these molecules. That's how your body perceives that you are tired, and maybe it's time you should go to sleep. If there are mm. a lot of pieces of broken ATP around, so it seems like we already did enough for today. Caffeine tries to put over those receptors uh, so the body is not so aware of how tired you are. All right, okay. That's interesting. So it basically just pushes the feeling of like exactly. of being tired. So you, so when you come later, when the so what's that? What's the half life of caffeine in your body? It's like five I'm, hours. I really don't know. Uh, don't know. Probably it depends a lot of every one of us, uh, the different like metabolism we have, and even probably tolerance. But yeah, I really don't know. Okay, so, so like when so you know you know people have very uh, different opinions about about let's say, let's say drugs, right? And then if you tell them like if if you ask someone about let's say uh, psilocybin, they'd be like, oh my god, no, I don't do drugs. Are you crazy? That's terrible. And then I, and then I'll be like, okay, well, how do you drink coffee <laughs> or like do you drink alcohol? Like exactly. Um, uh, my favorite definition of drug is that. Anything that you are introducing into your body, that it's not food. That's or maybe it could be food, but if you are not eating that food just for keeping you alive, just for satisfaction, that's a drug too. So only those molecules that are totally necessary for keeping your body alive, that those that are given like the nutrients and the energy, okay, those are the only ones we shouldn't consider as a drug. Any other thing with any other purpose, that's a drug. So, I mean, like even food, you know, your state of mind is very different depending on what the kind of like, the kind of food you eat, right? Yes. Like... There is a work, uh, a really, really amazing research line from Nora Volkov. She's a um, neuroscientist researcher in the United States. She's director of the National Institute of Mental Health. And she was the one uh in charge of all that research that it was done about the concentration of different um d2 d2 sorry uh dopamine receptors in the brain and the correlation that that has with different kind of addictions she was using uh post-trend emission tracking uh the pet 
uh, mm -hmm. to figure out uh, what this was happening in the people with different addictions. And uh, yeah, she showed that, for example, obviously cocaine reduced those receptors and actually food with a lot of uh, sugar, people who is reporting obesity, uh, they, they are showing that reduction in the D2 receptors uh, density. So this produces almost the same on the brain. So the way I think about it is like, I think of, I think of uh, like your eyes and your, and your mouth and your nose, your senses basically as information about the environment that you're in to your, to your body. Right. So I think of food as information about my current state of affairs. Right. So like, you know, if, like, if you, I so like if that you, one, yeah. so like, so if, if I'm giving my body, like a lot of good nutritious food, right. Like let's say, so let's say, let's say I'm giving it proteins. Right. Like I, I so I, I think of it as I'm telling my body, okay, there's an abundant situation around me. There's a lot of animals around me, which means the environment is probably pretty healthy. There's uh, like I'm not in a like I think it neurobi neurologically calms me down. It's like, okay, I can tell that at some level you're you like hmm. you're not you're not worried for your life. Like, you know something that it's where like all psychiatrists and all like psychiatric research, it's focusing, it's focusing now in what is happening in the guts. Your digestive system uh, has a lot of different bacteria. Many of them are totally like necessary and are, uh, they are not harmful. Actually, it's all the opposite. They are super uh, beneficial for us. And there is already some studies funding some correlations um, in which, yeah, there are different psychiatric disorders, mainly those related with uh, different kinds of schizophrenia and the kind of uh, microbioma or something like that, they call it, um, that they can find in your intestines. And for example, if serotonin, uh, one of the most important neurotransmitters we have, uh, actually the biggest concentration of that, around 90%, it's not in the brain, but it's in the guts. The first time that they they found the serotonin in the brain, uh, they thought that it was a mistake. That actually it was a contamination from another sample. Mm -hmm. um, so it has a lot of sense to think that maybe our status mind could be totally related with what is happening in our uh, digestive system. And actually, our our guts the, they have their own small autonomous nervous system that it will have like different. Um, uses for example if at some point you faint uh because you consume something that it was kind of poison okay the stomach is still has the ability to send the signal that you have to throw up for example right 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 um and what else so yeah um now there's a lot of research uh focusing on on the guts something that we want to do in argentina at some point or maybe in brazil it's going to be easier um there's a lot of research done with ayahuasca ayahuasca is has a huge corporal load as a psychedelic because probably you're going to throw up and you're going to throw up a lot. So a lot of stuff are happening in your stomach. So it will be super interesting to acquire brain data and electro-gastro signals uh, yeah. at the same time. Uh, probably uh, we will explain much more about the experience if we have that data in consideration. Like So, yeah, I, I mean, if you think about it, the, the internal lining of your gut it's basically an, an interface with the environment, right? Totally. And and it, it makes sense that there is some sort of information gathering mechanism there where it's like it, it tries to figure out what's going on in your environment by what you eat and like what's happening. So for example, I 
I, I I practice fasting quite a bit. So like I, so I'll do like five days, six day fast sometimes just with just water. And I, I mean, obviously I, I, I can like two or three days into it without food, I can immediately start to notice like a psychological change in my behavior and the way I think about things like after like on like day four without food i noticed that my sleep goes to shit right so like the thing is i know i'm not sleeping well but my level of core like no adrenaline has increased to a point where it's just like i'm just completely alert right so i'll go to be- i'll go to bed at like nine wake up at two in the morning completely refreshed right Com- completely alert and because because my brain is like yo you need to go find something to eat because you don't need you don't need <laughs> With in- priorities dude please focus <laughs> you know. yeah you don't need in five days right so, so like like one time i had this experience i was like six days into just a water fast and then one of my friends sent send me a text like hey man do you want to hang out right and and my train of thought was because because I realized my body is just trying to conserve energy, right? And every decision I make takes energy. It's like totally. So my brain started to think like, "Do I want to hang out?" And then, and then I was like, "No, I want to hang out." Then, if I don't want to hang out, do I want this person in my life? Like, do I like should I like does this person matter? Does this person matter? Like, it it has this like clarifying sort of like razor blade effect. But uh, yeah, so. The food thing is a whole other, whole other thing. True. But so, but so I just I was just learned, I just read this read this book called The Molecule of More, basically just about do, about dopamine. Um, super fascinating, like as far as neurotransmitters are concerned. But as far as psychedelics go, what are the main players neuro neurochemically? Like, what's the, what are the, I don't know. You know uh about dopamine or like in general in the brain okay so i mean, so okay let, let me let me ask a better question does how much do we know about the mechanism of action for for, for let's say like let's, let's take one let's take one class let's take psilocybin um, uh we know a lot but there are some black boxes in the middle um basically our lab uh i mean the lab i'm well, i'm still working uh in argentina the one i'm doing my phd um uh, we call it cocuco that's consciousness culture and complexity uh for us it's like the three main <laughs> nice. uh, columns pillars of the uh, cognitive neuroscience we do um we try to f- we're super interested in consciousness we try to figure out we try to track consciousness at the lowest scale possible. So we start like from the molecular scale, we're trying to figure out what characteristics those uh, molecular structures they have uh, to finally bind to the different receptors in which they are uh, yeah, producing their effects. So we work, for example, with molecular dynamics. Um, we work with uh, cryo-IM uh, images of those structures. So at that level, we, like human beings, humanity, science, we understand what is happening there. It's where is the spot that uh, it calls the pocket on the protein where the molecule has to bind, how that structure is changing its shape. And that's how the neuron perceives what is happening in, in its environment. So how do you investigate 
these kind of things like 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 in a dish or like like in that's a very good question uh it has a huge percentage of that it's yeah a lot of actually biology and then there's a lot of computational uh methods okay first we need the um, 3d structure of the protein mm-hmm. until a couple of years ago the only way to obtain that it was um using electron uh microscope microscope yeah. okay but it was super difficult because you have to the protein has to be super super still during all the process that's why they were using like super low temperatures uh, cryogenic technology to keep the protein in place and at the same time they have to you know try to uh, make additional uh support because the process is quite slow sometimes so you really need to be sure that it's going to be uh still uh and yeah it takes a lot of time uh they have to, usually they have to change little pieces of the protein for making it more stable under these conditions. And that, yeah, the precision you obtain there, it's it's unbelievable. And literally, you know, the position of every atom of that protein. Uh, protein will have one of these receptors. It has around 300, 400, maybe a little bit more um, um, amino acids. So let's say that each one of them, I don't know, has 10 atoms. It could be a little bit more. But you are around always around 4,000, 5,000 atoms. Uh, and then once you have that, all those coordinates, then you can start running simulations. Uh, you can calculate the attraction and repulsion of all of those atoms, not all of them at the same time, because the problem is going to be like impossible, like too big. But yeah, as you make this like uh, stop motion animation frame by frame of mm-hmm. the molecule getting inside the protein and changing its uh, dimensional conformation. And so this is happening, let's say, outside of the cell. Then you have the membrane, like the, the wall of the, the skin of this neuron, let's say. And then yeah. part of this protein is already inside the cell, inside the neuron. So what you move and change over here, it's affecting what you, yeah, how the, 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 the pieces of the, of the protein, it's, uh, it's binding to other sets of proteins that are inside. That's the, the G-coupled proteins that are inside the neuron. And now it's when the black box starts. The neuron changes its firing rate. That's how we realize that the neuron is affected by, by, by that drug. The problem is that we are not so sure what kind of secondary messengers are um, coming from the protein to some epigenetic stuff that happens inside. There are some markers. There was a little bit of a study done. Um, at epigenetic level, you can analyze the change in the genes um, that were produced for a stimulus from outside of an error. And yeah, we know like how those genes are changing after uh, different kinds of psychedelics were affecting that neuron, but how to correlate that exactly with the rate of change in the neuron and what happens later, that's a still work in progress. Uh, my PhD, it's mainly based on that, but yeah, it's it takes so long. What we do after that is we have more general activity of the brain. It could be EEG data, it could be fMRI data sometimes, depends on the experiment. We work in collaboration with Imperial College at London. Uh, they were the first in the world um, in analyzing the effects of LSD and psilocybin and DMT under the effects of a nuclear resonator. These were like three very important papers. And in Argentina, uh, one of the most important research that uh, we have done 
uh, in Coquico. In it's the first experiment with the psychedelic in the story of our country. And it was about uh, the effects of smoke DMT. Uh, DMT is the active compound in ayahuasca, for example. Um, yeah, in human beings, in natural settings. Natural settings doesn't necessarily mean that we were in the forest, but actually that the volunteers, the subjects, uh, they decided when and how and where uh, they wanted to have uh, their yeah. experience. Usually what all other labs around the world are doing is like, okay, you have to be here on Thursday at, I don't know, 4 p.m. And yeah, you're going to smoke here in this place that you have never seen before with all these people around that are totally strangers for you. And yeah, it looks super white and it's a lab. And yeah, if we are always saying that the set and the setting is so important in the psychedelic experience, maybe that's not the best set and setting for, for, for psychedelics. Right, for sure. Um, Have you, uh, so I had so many questions I just wanted to ask because you just said some, so many things. Uh, first thing is, so when you take, when you, when you take something like a psychedelic, so the only change in the neuron is just the firing rate. Like there's no other dimension of variation. Yes. I mean, uh, what we can perceive at macroscopic level, it's like from EEG data, it's the mm -hmm. change in the firing rate. Um, basically, you have to think that every electrode in, in the brain is like a microphone for trying to hear in these neurons firing. Actually, uh, these electrodes, what are measuring, it's literally current over the surface of the head. So it's literally electrons that were fired in, in that process. But yeah, we have millions and millions and millions of neurons. So it's trying to hear what is happening there. It's like, I don't know, using a couple of hundreds microphones to hear like every human being on the planet. Right. It's like <laughs> they really have to be singing the same song if you want to yeah. hear actually what is happening there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what we know at microscopic level. Then, yeah, I, I was I was telling you, we know like how some genes are expressed or change uh, inside, inside the cell. Uh, every experience you have in your life uh, affects you at the genetic level. It's like there, that's how we keep uh, some register of what was happening around our life. And it's part of the process of, you know, learning or actually making uh, next generations uh, a little bit better. And yeah, there are like precise markers of different psychedelics on, on those neurons. There is this lab directed by uh, Javier Gonzalez Maeso brilliant researcher. I'm a huge fan of him. And he works in collaboration with uh, Noelia Weinsbaum. Oh, my God. I, I, I don't remember or actually I can't pronounce her surname. <laughs> uh, Noelia <laughs> from the University of Buenos Aires uh, in Argentina. Um, yeah, uh, they, they were working analyzing these, these markers. What I'm trying to do now with uh, other members of the lab and in collaboration with people from um, the chemistry department, too, it's create this machine model that can predict that these changes in the genes from the change in the structure of the protein. So, okay, just so that just to, just, just to make sure I understand the idea of gene expression, right? So, um, if you want to get a protein of any sort, we need a gene to produce that protein, yes. correct? Okay, so, and the gene expression is handled by the cell's nucleus? Yes, there's an entire mechanism that it's like writing stuff that are important for keeping that register. Okay, and then and then so 
and then the protein that's produced that's so it, can all cells make proteins like is that, is that I, I really don't sh i i guess so i mean probably yes uh because yeah otherwise how you are gonna keep that mechanism working so yes right right okay so uh, so you when you introduce a, a psychedelic compound or any compound for that matter there the there is a potential for a, g a change in gene expression based on what this what the cell sees is that about right uh i really i'm not so sure like the probability of actually the cell registering that change uh from what i seen in the result of these experiments they are quite successful in doing that once and again and again and probably at a very high level because for actually having the ability of reading those expressions in precise way probably you need very big samples i guess right um but yeah it's it's uh that's the black box and it's not my feel and that's when that's when the mystery happens because at some point we were thinking okay there's an scale for consciousness it's me for example when you think in temperature uh you are thinking for example you have this vessel full of gas and the temperature is related with uh, the energy inside this uh, this uh, yeah this vessel and how much these molecules are almost like uh, touching each other generates energy or whatever. Uh, but if you go to a lower scale, you go to the atomic scale or you go to the quantum scale, temperature doesn't exist anymore. It's a mm -hmm. macroscopic scale from the atomic point of view. Right. So we were thinking, okay, where where this consciousness starts? Uh, because we think it's, I, in my opinion, it should be at cellular level. Okay, there shouldn't be something smaller than an entire neuron taking decisions of what you should do every day. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there's all the other researchers that actually they think that this has to come from something much more smaller. So randomness. Where randomness start? So randomness, it will be tracked kind of until the quantum level. Mm -hmm. So maybe our behavior, our decisions, they have a lot of this randomness. So we could say that consciousness maybe comes from even the quantum level. Um, I still want to believe that we are going to find something at the cellular level. Uh, but yeah, what is happening below that uh, like the gene expressions and super precise change in the protein. Um, yeah, there's still a lot of work that it has to be done. Super interesting because actually we are doing that and we know other labs that are following the same pathway. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the most complicated part. Then so, what's other things we're doing? This is like analyzing the problem from bottom up. But if we go from top down, for example, a lot of things that we do in our lab, it's natural language processing. Um, there's a lot of reports of people in, in internet telling how it was their experience with different psychedelics. And for example, we were finding correlations between this kind of semantic expression of, of all these, these trips and uh, chemical properties we know about those molecules, or even, for example, changes, direct changes that uh, we could find in the structure of the protein. Have you read uh, The Doors of Perception? Yes. Uh, oh, amazing book. Yes. Uh, I, I really enjoy it. Um, actually, it's it's hard for me to read things that are uh, 
other things that are not papers. Uh, usually okay. I can't find the time and every every time that I I can do a little bit, I have a little bit of freedom for, for reading something outside of that. I always try to stay with something, with things related with psychedelics. Because it yeah. happens very often that people tell me, have you ever read the last book from Michael Pollan? Because in chapter... And it's like, oh, no. And it's like, in, in chapter three, he says, and it's like, oh, we have to read it. Yeah, because yeah, people yeah, are going to start asking, and we should know. Uh, I didn't finish it. I, I, yeah. I like it kind of, but I didn't finish it. I thought, like, I don't know. like I mean, I'm biased because I'm a huge fan of Huxley. And uh, I, I used like I write, so I, I, I love his work. But um, this whole, uh, so, okay, let's, let's. Uh, so what's what makes psychedelics so different from the other things that we take? Like, like clearly, people have people have put it in a box. It's like, okay, this is weird. This is some weird stuff that you don't understand. Well. Um... And why is the big deal? The, like, answer, why is the, the answer is, why is exactly the, the answer. It's probably exactly that. It's that the experience is so intense, so different to every kind of other thing you could feel in your daily life, and it's so hard to actually find the right expressions to transmit what, how you were feeling there. That yeah we should do something with this. It's like we, we can't like just watch in another direction and, and makes like, yeah, no, nothing here happened. No, come on, it was so important. It, so yeah, we are a little obsessed as humans as in science to try to figure out if psychedelics could be useful in some way. Because so, we always know that they are fun, but yeah. they are useful. They're, yeah. they're, they're not always fun. They're not always fun. Like That's a problem. Know, That's a problem because yeah. actually... Uh, if that's why there, I think there is so many uh, efforts in trying to find some kind of proper utility to psychedelics because that will clean their name. It's like okay, 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 yes, they are fun, but look, they are good, you know, for people who really need them. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's that. It's super hard for us to accept that something can be just fun and that's it. The, the reason, like, I mean, I, the reason I said that is because I don't like psychedelics. They, like they don't show you what you want to see they show you what you need to exactly see, right? i love that one yeah right so it's like so uh you you got to be very like um, um there's a quote by uh carl jung right? it's uh beware of unearned wisdom right so so like it's it's like okay so you're like oh I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know what i'm gonna take a heroic dose of psilocybin first time in my life i never thought about this before and then you sort of see things that you don't like in my experience at least right whenever i take whenever i take the psilocybin my experience is that it makes me see things that i've been trying to ignore right so things that i've been willingly trying to not address it'll force me to look at it it'll also show me things that i need to see like things that i can't see even if i want to see it right like recently i had this experience where um I was feeling, I was feeling like, I was feeling quite, uh, like, like I was, I was always just like going right, always going, doing, doing, going from A, doing A B C, doing A B C, and I was feeling like I hadn't accomplished anything for some reason, right? And then I, I, I had this trip, and then, uh, like halfway through it, I had this sort of outer body experience, right? And I was looking at myself from a, like a third out, like a, like a bird's eye view, right? And there was this, I don't know what it was, this voice telling me like, 
look at yourself like look at all you've done like look at who you were like five ten years ago think about the people who are who were around you in your environment and look at how look at look at the things you can do like and then like i heard myself talk and then i heard my heard a voice saying like look at how eloquent you are for for some kid from an island in the middle of nowhere that no one's ever heard of like you should be proud of yourself and i was like man that was re- i really needed that i, I, I like i was i was like right it's like yeah <laughs> nice part of you there it's like yeah like i was cuz i'm always so critical of myself like, oh yeah the story of my life yeah right so like in the moment i was like so relieved and i was about to like i was on the verge of tears i was like man that's that's that i'm so glad i can see that but like again but you, you see things you don't want to see i mean if, if, like especially if you want if you've been if you've been avoiding thinking about something that's the worst that's the best time oh, to take some. then it's like hmm, maybe you really need to pay attention to this right here right now obviously in style right here right now yeah absolutely so like people are like hey man you want to go to this party and take some mushrooms I'm like no I don't want to do that at no, all I don't I don't want to do all that work today <laughs> yeah I, I'm already tired no no yeah. no it's like it's like it's like I'll, if, if I take a good enough dose it's like I'm afraid to even think about it for the next, next six months I'm like I don't want to even like because I noticed like it takes a long time to really for me to like integrate the experience and so after a, an experience like at least a month or two down the road I'm still pulling things together from the things that I've experienced right so like it's it's quite useful for me at least yes um, it is for sure and I also find I'm like I also find I'm much more open to experiences after like the month or two following uh, 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 this thing so like I'm more willing to try new things like and that's been really helpful especially the, now that I'm back in academia and I'm trying to learn stuff right so it's like a, a, yeah, like a random point thing. yeah totally um yeah and that's one of the best advices for anyone in academia you should be open to try uh everything that it's new and around in your field all the time that's uh and open to any kind of collaborations and any kind of possibility of mixing the stuff that usually they are not together that's mm-hmm. how the best science starts for sure so what's your what has your experience been doing this research like has it been has people been pretty open to it like has a lot of pushback from like universities and uh, that's a very good it? question um argentina it's probably one of the best countries um, for doing this kind of research in the sense that society, it's not super open, but they are not so close. Uh, I mean, if you explain everything with enough detail, you have like the right reasons and you do everything properly, it probably like society will, will accept it. We, we talk about our job openly with, with anyone Um, even sometimes we're invited to different schools in Argentina for talking uh, with the students that are in high school with uh, teenagers about, yeah, prevention of addictions and actually what the drugs uh, do in, in our body. Um, so, yeah, we are super open about that. Try to find funding for that. Uh, that was a different story. Um 
everything started with our director, Enzo Tagliasuki. He, he was the one that started to um, study consciousness and alternative states of consciousness, mainly um, dreaming and, and people in vegetative state and things like that. Um, mm. He started his lab in 2016 or 17. That's when I joined um, his team. And yeah, he he was he just came back from Europe, so he was still using part of his um, scholarships for starting this new lab in Argentina. And after that, yeah, we were trying to find our own fundings. Um, doing research with psychedelics was not so expensive as some people could think, because how we were choosing our volunteers helped a lot with that. For example, at Imperial College, what they are doing is that they are giving the substance themselves, and these compounds are so pure, and actually because the experiment it has it's it's different in this way, they are giving IB doses of these compounds to the volunteers. Uh, they are spending, I hear, around a couple of millions of uh, British pounds uh, just in obtaining the chemical compound from the, yeah, let's say chemical companies that are authorized for producing compounds that could be using humans and things like that. Mm -hmm. That's it's interesting because you are 100% sure of that everything that you are measuring there is because you have this compound that is 100% pure and it's IB, so you are totally sure that the metabolization of the dose is going to be that one. Uh, but it's not very representative of the average experience of people consuming drugs in society. We don't have access to super pure compounds and we are not giving us I don't know, IB doses of LSD or psilocybin. We are just taking our paper blotters, eating mushrooms, whatever. Mm -hmm. So what we are doing in Argentina is we talk with the executive committee and we told them, okay, let's say that, for example, you want to study cocaine, right? What you are going to do is you are not going to give cocaine to healthy volunteers just to see what happens. That's a terrible idea. You try to find people who is already consuming uh, cocaine and you just acquire data from them. So that's what we did with psychedelics. We explained to them that, yeah, they are illegal, that in, like in many parts of the world, but that doesn't mean that there's people doing it. And we should know as a society what is doing in, in the human brain. So yeah, uh, the volunteer who are people that they already going to consume DMT by their own means because it was their decision and it's part of what they do with their lives. But yeah, they were telling us in advance um, when they are going to be doing that. So they were... Huge selection process. They they have interviews with psychologists and psychiatrists. They have mm -hmm. to fill a lot of uh, different questionnaires. And once we were sure that they were um, fulfilling all the requirements for being part of the experiment, we arrange uh, finally the, this interview and uh, they smoke uh, in their houses usually, maybe with the assistance of any friend. Uh, yep, we were there with our EEG caps acquiring the, the data. Okay. I mean, isn't that really noisy? Like the data, like if you just if, if they're just sitting around in the house and moved, they're moving and smiling. No, and uh, the thing is, one of the best uh, aspects of uh, smoke DMT is that it's super short and super intense. So the experience is around seven minutes, but mm. yeah, it produces huge visual distortion. You are gonna see like geometrical patterns, super colorful ones in front of your eyes and it's totally immersive like you're totally inside that reality and it produces a lot of uh yes this well-being and happiness feelings um so yeah it's perfect for experiments because people actually they just stay still in their chairs during yeah five, <laughs> six, seven minutes um 
And yeah, and you see huge changes in, in their brain. It's like super notorious, even without doing any kind of uh, Fourier spectrum analysis. Uh, it's pretty obvious from our naked eye that, yeah, something strange is happening with those things. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember my, I, 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 I tried salvia for the first time. Whoa. That, was, that, was, that was pretty, pretty, pretty ridiculous. Like, so as far as psychedelics go, what's the deal with salvia? Like, salvia, the final frontier. You have to hear this. Um, I was already talking uh, with people from our department um, about the possibility of presenting uh, this project to the ethics committee at Tilburg for acquiring uh, data from uh, volunteers smoking salvia because salvia is legal here in the Netherlands. Right. So actually, from a legal point of view, um, there is no way that they could say no. But yeah, obviously it's anything related with human beings and acquiring data. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a huge problem from the ethical uh, perspective. So let's, let's say what they say. I'm still preparing the documents. Unfortunately, it's super long, everything they are asking. I already have other models of uh, ethics approvals that we presented in Argentina for, for example, the DNT experiment or um, the same that we are using at the Imperial in England. So it's a protocol that we already trust in this uh, procedure, this pipeline, because we were working with it uh, for so long and in different countries, it worked pretty well. Um, so, and yes, we work with this wireless EEG cap that it can fit inside your backpack. So it's super convenient mm -hmm. for going to the, the different people uh, houses. And once we had that, the next things we do, it's usually trying to correlate that activity with markers we have from that subjective experience. It could be results from those questionnaires, or it could be, for example, the semantic content of the interview that they have with us after the experience in which they are um, trying to put in words what we were living there. Yeah, let me, I mean, I, I, I'm for, let, like, thinking back to my Salvia experience, there's... Oh, like, Salvia, I, you're asking about Salvia, sorry. Salvia, Salvia, Salvia. Yeah, Salvia, the thing is... Um, hey, what were you talking about, DMT? Yeah, but okay, but the experiment we want to do with Salvia is exactly like that one. It's, it's going to be oh, the so same wait, procedure, yeah, and Salvia is around 10 minutes experience, so that's that's super useful from, from acquiring data. You have a lot of information in a very short time. Salvia has a very strange properties. One of them is that there are not so many psychoactive compounds without a nitrogen atom. Actually, there are like just three examples. THC from weed, uh, salvinorin A from salvia divinorum, and actually that's it. Then you have uh, myristicine from nutmeg, but it's not psychoactive for anyone, or for like any human beings. Just a few of us uh, can produce like psychoactive reactions to um, not this compound in nutmeg. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, because it <laughs> depends so on funny. the uh, metabolic, <laughs> metabolic route that you have there. There, There's people, uh, There's this is something super interesting. You should Google oil ayahuasca. Instead of ayahuasca, it's oil ayahuasca. It's people okay. getting high with um, essential oils because if you have the right, <laughs> the right diet, you can change like the concentrations of different enzymes and as a result, you are producing new compounds that are psychoactive. So you are <laughs> biosensitizing psychedelics inside you, keeping the right diet. And it's real and it works. Uh, it, wor it doesn't work for anyone, but it has a very like high success rate. I didn't try it, 
but all the that's chemistry crazy. they have behind it sounds reasonable. That's crazy. So okay, so let's. So my savvy experience was mm. terrifying. Like I, I mean, I couldn't even talk to someone about. It. Like, like I couldn't talk. Terrifying. I couldn't do anything. Like, like I think it was bad because my my friends didn't tell me what it was. <laughs> they were like, "Bro, we got some stuff. You want to smoke it?" I mean, I was young. I was like, I don't know, sixteen, seventeen years old, and uh, I was like, "Yeah, sure." And then I, like, I thought it was weed, and then I smoked it. I I knew immediately that this is not weed because like the, <laughs> the, like the smoke was like super thick and it was like a smog right and i was like this is not weed and then my friend was like count backwards from 10 i was like what <laughs> and, I started counting. <laughs> Dude, and then i was gone man i woke up like my shirt was off i was sweating i was like what the hell happened <laughs> yes yes it's super intense it's super intense it's one of the more selective compounds uh ever discovered it's almost only binds to the um, Kappa, uh, kappa or mu opioid receptor, the kappa opioid, the kappa opioid receptor, yes. And it's interesting because it has a lot of pharmacological potential. Uh, because if you are working on opioid receptor, probably you will have analgesic properties. Or and if you and if it's produced this disconnection from your environment, it could be used for anesthetics. Um, mm. So. Yep, and it I seems mean, it's like a naturally, it's, it's, it's a naturally occurring plant. Thing, yes, right? um, there is only one place in Earth where you can find salvia growing in the wild. That's Oaxaca in the south of Mexico. I was there, um, and the plant it doesn't reproduce itself by by seeds, but actually it needs to. How do you say? Take a little a piece. Shoot, like yeah, a, exactly. Like a little bit of that. Like, oh, yeah. Um, there are salvia already in other countries and. From what I hear about that, uh, the, the, these people that have salvia in other countries, you have to go to Mexico, put it like inside your luggage in so way that you know that that plant is going to survive all the flight mm. in, in the <laughs> airplane to your country. It has to yeah. cross customs without anyone discovering that actually you have a living plant there. And yeah. you have to like put it as soon as possible in ground and just pray, and just, like, pray that uh, yeah, it will survive. And in Argentina, there was this community that actually they did that. Uh, I hear that it took them at least five attempts until the plant finally survived to the, to the trip. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's how in Argentina was one of the few countries in which you could have a lot, a lot of, of salvia. But again, the experience is so strong, it's so intense. It's so, I don't know if scary is the right word, because maybe people think that that has to be something negative. There's There's no possibility of something scary that it's still good yeah i don't yeah the thing is i don't like when i say scary i don't mean it in the bad sense like but like new things that yeah. are new are things that are new can be scary right doesn't mean they're good or bad it's intense it's intense it's and you have to be respectful with uh, what you see there that's for sure um i only did it once and i think that that was enough <laughs> it was a 25x uh, concentration um that's super intense but yeah i actually was looking for that in the sense that i really wanted to have the entire experience to be totally sure of what it potential is let's say so we, what were you talking about when you say you, you approached the bug is for dmt or is it for salvia sorry you were saying 
you say you you you're trying to collect some data from yeah Europe. from DMT. That's what we did okay. in Argentina, and what I want to okay. do here in the Netherlands. Uh, it's replay, I'll say, replicate the same experiment um, that we did with DMT, but with salvia, uh, because I mean the pipeline or like the the the, the protocol. It's how the the experiment is designed. It works perfectly for salvia too. It's something that you have to smoke, and the experience is just a couple of minutes. So yeah. Um, and here it's okay, legal, cool. so basically it will be. I mean, I'll be here for another year, so if, if, if I'll, I'll sign up for sure if it if it gets off the ground. For sure. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm waiting. Probably I'm gonna write. I'm gonna finish all the proposals on on June during uh, the end of the semester. Uh, but yeah, now I'm like totally. <laughs> right. How would you say? Yeah, under a lot of piles of work. So, like, okay, I also want to ask you about MDMA. MDMA. Right. So, what's the story with MDMA? Well, MDMA, uh, like all the um, phenethylamines that we have, uh, now it's we can compare it with mescaline. How humans obtained DMA in the first time, it was not as part of experiment or like a, a, a research trying to obtain psychoactive compounds. The first, uh, like, breeding uh, register that we have from MDMA, it's in a patent um, at the a beginning. Patent? Yeah, in a chemistry patent <laughs> at the beginning of the 1900s, uh, where they were trying to obtain, um, it was part of the synthetic route from obtaining uh, a compound that was a bus, um, how do you say, vasoconstrictor, blood uh, mm. strain constrictor. Yeah. Um, but we started to use MDMA for like psychiatric purposes in the 60s and 70s and probably for what purposes like uh, where there was this chemist my one of my favorite people in the world unfortunately he he has passed away a couple of years ago uh, his name is uh, Alexander Sasha Shulgin um, he dedicated almost his entire uh, life or at least like this important part of his career um, to study what different psychedelic compounds could could do in in our bodies. He invented uh, and synthesized all these new compounds. He has two amazing books uh, called Pilkal and Tilkal. That means... Oh, yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah, heard exactly. This. In one, he uh, produced around 200 different phenethylamines, and the second one, yeah, or like another 100 different tryptamines. Uh, so, yeah, it's like all, probably any drug that people could be consuming today, it's could be something that he invented in the 60s, 70s, 80s, or it could be the case that it's a molecule uh, analog of one of those, and it's totally, it's directly related with uh, one of those uh, father compounds. Uh, and yeah, he was the first one in discovering the therapeutical potential of MDMA. Um, he started um, his research analyzing analogs of uh, mescaline. He was trying to move every functional group around the structure of the molecule to different positions and changing atoms by other kind of uh, elements and different kind of iterations, trying to figure out a pattern or trying to figure out the mechanism of making of how a molecule could be psychoactive, could be a psychedelic. And yeah. that's how he started for mescaline, arrived at uh, TM2, then um, he was he arrived at things like 2CV, for example, and he was one of the first that he 
he thought or he, he realized that actually um, compounds that you could find in essential oils like meristicin in, in nutmeg, they could be psychoactive in, in our bodies. There was this experiment in which they were giving nutmeg to rabbits or mice, a very small mammal. I don't remember exactly. And they discovered that the, it was producing some kind of a stimulant effect, like the temperature of these uh, animals was getting higher. They started to be more, um, how do you say, with more energy and analyzed the urine of these um, uh, yeah, animals. They discovered that there was this compound, which it's, the structure was not clear enough, but it has nitrogen. So he thought, okay, maybe these animals, they are um, producing uh, its own psychoactive compound inside of them, adding this uh, nitrogen uh, um, atom to, to these inert compounds from nutmeg. And that's why they are showing this, this activity. So he decided to try to figure out how that molecule should look like. And he created a molecule called MMDA. It's the equivalent of at MDA, but instead of using saffron as your starting molecule, you start you start with meristicin. It's this analog compound that you found right. in nutmeg. So you can create a very similar analog of MDMA uh, from the essential oil of nutmeg. And actually, there are some people doing it. It's not very common, uh, but yeah, it exists. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of uh, papers written about that. So what does MDMA do in your brain? Uh, there's still a couple of doubts. Uh, basically, we know that it releases um, a lot of neurotransmitters. That's why you still feel pretty much like yourself in the sense that there's no visual distortion. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a stimulant, so maybe you're going to feel a little bit of anxiety, but at the same time, a lot of, uh, of energy. And that's that needing that you should be moving all the time. And But at the same time, it produces so much happiness and empathy there is a lot of dopamine, serotonin, and uh, noradrenaline floating around because, again, it releases all these compounds. And yeah, and it's active by itself in the sense that it one it binds to the um, to the neuron, produce the release of all those uh, compounds, and at the same time, it changes the behavior of the neuron. Um, it has a lot of potential, and actually, it was approved quite recently in the United States. Uh, by the FDA for treating post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, PTSD. Yeah, mainly. So, yeah. Well, what about the toxicity of the of MDMA? Some of any... its metabolites, uh, yeah, are neurotoxic. Um, actually, there's a lot of work that it has been done by David Nichols and trying to obtain analogs of MDMA that are no neurotoxic. And actually, he he found them. There's uh, now I I don't want to make a mistake about the names, but I think that one of them is MD, MDAT, and the other okay. one it could be MDAI or something like that. Uh, we have to check. It's, yeah, tetra tetramine. It was one of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it has almost the same effect as MDMA, but the molecule, the metabolites, the resultant molecule of this digestion, let's say, they are not neurotoxic. Uh, but yeah, it's a little. I mean, is it a big concern? Like, if you take pure MDMA, um, like how much of that? How much? How, how much of the metabolite is it? Oh, uh, I don't want to. 
commit a mistake and talking about doses or frequency yeah, of yeah, consumes. Yeah. No, so no, like, but I'm just people curious. should know that yeah, there are consequences uh, at least a chemical level. Uh, we there are ways to measure that and it exists and we are aware of that. If you consume it in the right small doses with the right not so um, high frequency, I think that it should be safe enough. But again, depends of so many factors that I, know, yeah, I don't want to risk. No, no, I, no. I was just wondering because uh, I had a, quite a few, uh, not quite a few, like not not as many as the other psychedelics, but I've had a couple of experiences with MDMA, like pure, just like the powder form. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've like, it's really interesting, right? Because like, there feels like there's a there's a psychedelic for just the right kind of personality and the right the, and just the right just the right time. For right? sure. Like, uh, my one of my best experiences on MDMA was just like me and like three other friends. We were living we were in our living room and like these are people that I've known my whole life, and we were just 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 the sheer feeling of love and just the connectedness that we felt was that i was that was scary to me because like i don't like because i don't like because that that was such a new feeling to me because I'm, I'm i'm such a like a like a type a get shit done kind of person you know what i mean yeah so like feeling at that at that level was terrifying <laughs> okay okay too much i was I... Too, too many feelings yeah but uh okay so there is some toxicity i just i was just curious because there are different accounts and like there are like random people saying you can take different things to counteract the toxicity blah 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 uh it's it's not at the level that we should be super worried but yeah it exists and if there are ways to avoid it i'm really surprised that we are not consuming i mean i'm sure they I'm sure they could, they they factored that in before the FDA approved it for PTSD, right? Yeah, I mean it was, let's say, let's use the word convenient in the United States because they have so many war veterans that are suffering from this, yeah, know, mental disorders. Tragic. Exactly. It's crazy. So, yeah, at that point they they really need that. And again, if you are gonna use it for therapeutical purposes, so it's not that the people is gonna consume it quite often, but actually just for a couple of sessions and with like a very precise objective <clears throat> any neurotoxicity probably is not our biggest concern when you have so many other beneficial uh aspects to to take in, into account um but yeah mdma what experience yeah so what about okay so let's talk about so what about ketamine oh ketamine that's works on glutamate um ketamine we have a very interesting story with ketamine, a very nice research paper, um, one of Enzo's biggest works, I think. Um, I'm I'm one of the co-authors of on on that paper, but yeah, it's just uh, being in the team with Enzo makes gives you sometimes this this kind of awesome satisfactions. Um, we were analyzing the semantic content of different reports of uh, near death experiences, people who were almost dead. Maybe it was in a surgery or maybe it was like in a car accident or something like that. And everyone, they are reporting these commonalities, like there's a light at the end of the of a tunnel and I feel no fear at all. Actually, it was super peaceful and I was like almost happy and I was floating. Sometimes I, I could even like see myself um, from, from outside of my body. And sometimes they report that there was this, this presence that it could be... Define as God, but it didn't have a shape. So 
they, they, they are always describing the same thing. Um, and so it was weird because it, they have like different um, religious backgrounds or, or cultural origins, and but they were always reporting the same. It was not the case that, I don't know, Europeans were seeing Jesus and I don't know, Buddhists were seeing uh, Buddha. No, it was all the same from all of them. So there was this theory that actually maybe this this near these experiences, it could be a psychedelic, like an hallucinogen experience from a psychoactive compound that it was endogenous, that it was inside our body, and it was released in that moment. And people like uh, Rick Strassman, um, they were talking about DMT as the, one of those molecules. But actually, in this research, we were comparing this again, near this uh, report experiences uh, with what, what people was reporting of different drugs in uh, Arrow with this website in which users since like the 90s. Yeah, I know. I'm familiar. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and actually the molecule, and this is something that in the lab we already knew even before starting with analysis, the molecule that it was the most similar one to being almost dead, it's, it's ketamine. And actually there is a biological explanation behind that. Um, when your body, when your brain perceives that something wrong is happening, <laughs> that probably you are going to die, uh, your brain starts to release a lot of glutamate. Glutamate is the, uh, this excitatory uh, neurotransmitter. And it's it's way to, say, to telling you, okay, I don't know what we have to do for getting out of this situation, but dude, just do it. This is, this is like our last <laughs> chance. Here you have all the glutamate you need. Uh, the problem is that glutamate is neurotoxic too. There is uh, this phenomenon called neuro neuroxytotoxicity, uh, in which this excess of uh, glutamate destroys the the nerve. So a lot of people who are having these um, how do you say uh, brain strokes, uh, mm -hmm. and at some point they have like consequences after uh, the the incident, like maybe they have um, problems with movement or okay things like that. Uh, usually pe what people says is like, yeah, you know, maybe the oxygen was not reaching the brain. Um, so that's why he's showing these uh, problems. Um, and yeah, ob obviously the lack of oxygen, it's, it's important and it's related with um, those problems. But the main, main uh, factor, the main problem is actually the excess of glutamate and the neurons are dying from this uh, excitotoxicity. Um, so there's this theory that says that maybe there is an, another compound that is released at the same time, that it's a glutamate antagonist, that it's there for protecting the neurons at some point when the levels of glutamate are too high. Uh, and for example, one of the evidence that we have that this could be possible is that if one of these patients is having a stroke and next to him or her, there is a nurse, a doctor uh, with the syringe already prepared with ketamine, and they like inject it in the right moment at the right time. Yeah, uh, there's a huge probability of reduction in the consequences of, of that episode, uh, because ketamine, ketamine is uh, is competing against glutamate from the same receptors, and in the process, it is protecting the neuron from uh, taking too much glutamate that is going to so, be so dangerous for for the neuron. That's for strokes, right? Yes, for strokes uh, and actually, a lot of different um, problems in which the brain starts to release a lot of glutamate because it's totally desperate. But yes, yeah, strokes is probably the best example. So uh, are, seizures, are seizures like that as well? Uh, I... What's the difference between a stroke and a seizure? 
Oof. Okay. No, it's that's a huge difference. The seizure. Uh, there are different like explanations or origins. Let's say causes causes the way it hurts, but usually it's related with an excess of synchronicity in the firing rate of the neurons. When at mm -hmm. some point there is this uh, resonance in in the firing rate in the synchronization of all the neurons, uh, yeah, there's this desynchronization, this like breaking in the connection happening. And yeah. A lot of neurons start to fire uh, all together at the same time. And that, for example, that's why people is shaking because you are telling the muscles you have to move to the left and you are telling to the muscles you have to move to the right all at the same time together. So that's why they are shaking. It's an excess of synchronicity and firing rate altogether of the neurons. I, I can't remember who it was, but there was an author. I think it, I think it might have been Dostoevsky uh, who had seizures. Um, those, like, and, and, he, and he described it as like he, he was on the verge of seeing like what it felt like was he was on the verge of seeing the truth of the world. And as he just was about to see it, he, he 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 goes into a seizure, like, and that's how that's uh, uh that's how he describes it. But like, nice. so 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 so, can you use ketamine to yeah to for sa this? yeah saving the life of one of these uh, patients? So what there's the theory that says that maybe we have our endogenous ketamine that is released at the same time uh, with that super excess of glutamate for protecting the neurons. And, and near this experience, it's an hallucination produced by this uh, protected compound. It's super hard to find in humans because you should be like taking blood samples probably from the the, um, the spine at the same time that the person is dying. So that's not going to happen. But they already did it with pigs. And yeah, in that process, they found this uh, peptide. Uh, peptides are like short proteins. It's a short uh, change of amino acids, usually around, I don't know, 30, 50, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, that yeah, it showed that it was uh, it has affinity for the glutamate receptors, uh, so it could be the case that that's it could be an elucidation of that molecule. So I mean, so they've been using ketamine for addiction treatment. I think they are using ketamine for a lot of different problems. They are using ketamine from depression. Um, now oh, yeah, there's the yeah. ketamine spray. The problem with antidepressants and people with depression is that there are some cases in which this person is super, super, super sad. Uh, maybe he's not committing suicide just because he doesn't have enough energy for doing it. He's so sad that he he's not able of committing suicide. But after, if they start to feel a little bit better, oh, right, there right, is this right. window in which oh, actually, yeah, they, they, they have enough energy for committing one of these uh, madness. Um, so yeah, that's that's a huge problem. Uh, what you you have to put a lot of attention on the patient in that. Meanwhile, they are like um, passing through this this window. Um, but that doesn't happen with ketamine. Uh, it's you can totally change the state of mind of, of that person with a couple of doses of ketamine, and yeah, they don't uh, their life is not at risk um, like it happens with other people with depression and suicide as well. So I mean I I can I can attest. So I I'm I I mean I've had uh, several maybe I don't know almost now I think five to eight about ten years of, of just like of like dealing with being depressed and uh, so right now I'm on like a mild antidepressant uh, and a 
I mean, I, like, I, I'm, I'm cool with talking about this. I don't know. Some people think I shouldn't talk about it, but I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. I, I think that in in this modern world, uh, not talking about mental health, it doesn't have sense. I mean, a huge percentage of population. I, I really saying that 100% of uh, of every human being is gonna have a mental problem at some point in their life. It's like maybe too much, but yeah, I. Uh, a huge percentage of us at some point we will have something that could be described as uh, some kind of uh, situation in which we will need help for dealing with that. So, right. yeah, exactly. So like uh, when I was first prescribed, um, like, so I was prescribed, for, I was prescribed for anxiety. Right. And then, and I, I start, the reason I saw a psychiatrist was because I just, I, I wasn't sleeping. Mm. Right. But, what I didn't realize was that I had been sleep deprived for years, right? I had no idea. So like, basically when he gave me this super low dose, the next day I called him, I said, I like, he, I said, when I took it at like six in the evening, I couldn't even walk at like seven. And he's like, and, and I said, and, and he said, and, and and I was worried. I was like, did you give me like a too high of a dose? Or he's like, no, I put you on the, probably the lowest dose. You just haven't slept in weeks. So you're just, you're just feeling that, 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 that effect. And I, after like, it took like a week for me to like, to feel normal again. Cause I was like, I didn't realize how much. So I slept for the first time, maybe years oh. through the, like through the night. Right. And I woke up and I was like, Jesus, man, I really crazy. needed that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't know, I didn't know I needed that that badly, but like, uh, it's really helpful. Like, you know, if you, so I, I, I always tell people like, I think like talk to a psychologist first and then see if behavioral changes can, like before I went to a psychiatrist, I tried everything like, like stimulus control, CBT, like I was, everything was routine. I had no computers past 6 p.m my diet, like exercise. I was working out like I was doing everything. I was working out seven days a week. I was doing yoga, I was meditating for like six, eight months. I tried this and I was like, this is not. And now I was like, fuck it. I need some help. <laughs> okay. It's but like, that's great. That's, great. that's great. how it should be done. It's like, okay, first we have to be totally sure that we are healthier as, as we can, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, it's like people. So like, so I know people who tell me like, oh man, I have ADHD. I'm like, do you actually, because like, look at yourself right now. You, you check your phone every two seconds. You're always on Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, right? And like, you're like, first of all, try to discipline yourself a little bit. See if that helps, right? Like, uh, or, or they'll say like, oh man, I have insomnia. I can't sleep. And I'm like, and then, and, and then, and then, and they're like, they're staring at the screen till like 12 at night. And then, and they're trying to go to sleep and like, it's not gonna work, bro. Like you gotta <laughs> for sure. Yeah, you gotta figure that out. Uh, it happens to me that not so much time ago I started to discover the tire supplements, um, and yeah, my life changed completely. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just like okay, you know, when you're right here to the Netherlands, the first thing you hear is like you should take vitamin D because here uh -uh, we are we don't have so much sun. I arrive like in in winter, so. Yeah. yeah, I've been taking I've been taking seven thousand milligrams, seven thousand mic, seven thousand IU a day since I landed. Exactly, <laughs> that's how it should be done. 
And then it was like, okay, but if I'm gonna take vitamin D, why I'm not taking B12? And then it's like, okay, but if there is B12, why not omega three, six, and nine? And then it was mm -hmm. like, okay, maybe a little bit of five HTP. And yeah, every new that I was adding at the end, now I'm just on uh, K, D, B12, Omega, and 5 HTP. So should I, should, I, should I, okay, so I've been taking a lot of vitamin D. Should I, should I supplement with uh, K and B as well? Well, there is this synergy uh, between them that everyone is telling on internet. And yeah, I mean, I try B12 uh, without uh, the other ones. And I really feel much better with, but you know, it's subjective. I mean, subjective, uh, it's right. my, my, everything that I'm telling you is with uh, N equals one. So it's, mm -hmm. it's the p-value is pretty, it's pretty crappy. <laughs> so for me right now, my stable, my stable is I'll take, if I'm feeling really stressed out, I'll take some, I'll take uh, like a pretty, like a big dose of magnesium glycinate. Oh yeah. The, a friend of mine told me about magnesium that it's like, why yeah. you are not doing that? Do this. No, so, like, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of expensive. So like, I, so I take, so the, like, cause I mean, not the, like uh, the shit that they sell at like, uh, at like, at like Jumbo is useless. Cause that's mostly magnesium oxide and that's not going to be absorbed. It's not going to go into your brain. So glycinate. Uh, I take it if I feel like I'm feeling kind of tired, like stressed out. Mm. Um, I can tell because when I start, when my when I'm when I I can I know I'm I'm taxing my CNS. When my eyes start twitching. Oh, okay. Right? Like <laughs> so, after a while, like my eyebrows like will start to twitch, and then like, and then if that continues the next two days, I'll start my sleep will start getting worse and worse. Then I would be like, okay, chill, take a. You are too much. You are too much. Like, um, and so right now it's magnesium. I take creatine every day. Uh, I should uh, have like, magnesium. You just convinced me. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I, magnesium. Like, like if you can get magnesium threonate or magnesium biglycinate, it's perfect. I, I mean, I, I, I like, and depending on the type of magnesium, uh, where, where it gets absorbed changes. So like, magnesium citrate is more, I think, absorbed by your muscles. And uh, so glycinate, if you want to get into your brain, glycinate or threonate, the other ones won't really do anything. Um, but yeah, magnesium, vitamin D, uh, creatine. And I, I did take some fish oil for about like oh. for a month or two, for, the, for like four or five months. Um, and then I started like making like salmon soup. So I was like, I don't know, maybe maybe like it's not as as efficient as taking these capsules, but because because I. I because I started going to the market, mm -hmm. and they have like the entire spine of the salmon and the head uh -huh, yeah. for like for like two euros, <gasps> right? <laughs> Give me all of that, yeah. No, no, so because like they they fillet the salmon, they take the meat out, yeah. and they have this big spine which has meat in it and like the head, right? And no one wants it, so I'm like, fucking, I'll take that. And then I just came home, and my, and my mom told me a recipe to make a broth out of it. Uh -huh, exactly. Yeah, so I would just do that. Did You're making like meat. a chemical extraction of the compounds in the right. So like, meat. yeah, probably not like super concentrated as like a capsule, but I also didn't. But I just wanted to see if it worked. But I might go back to the capsule because that's a pain <laughs> in the ass. <laughs> like making that is a huge pain. In the ass. Um, but uh, like so, like just like supplementing is a huge. So, so it's a huge industry itself, right? Like. Like nootropics. So okay, let's talk about nootropics. Oh no, dude. Let's talk about let's talk about nootropics. What are some shit that actually works? Because I've heard some stuff. Like, so there's the, the there's a creatine has a strong uh, nootropic effect. I don't know if you know this. No, that's here. 
Yes, like so. Creatine is like it, it's been so. It's traditional users have been guys like me who just want to go to the gym and get huge, right? So like so the the power output and uh, and the strength gain aspect has been is well studied. It's like creatine is one of the most studied supplements in the world. Wow. And um, its efficacy has been shown over and over again. Uh, but the nootropic stuff is just, just, is just coming, coming out and there's, they're showing cognitive benefits in, in taking creatine every day. I was taking it anyway, so I was like, that's great. <laughs> so like, that's, that's fine. But I do notice it. Like, if I, if I don't take creatine in the morning, I definitely notice like a, like a, it, it's weird. It's not like worse or bad. It's a different state of my mind. Uh-huh. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I guess it really, it, it, it really depends on what you want to get done. But it's okay. Nootropics. Let's talk about some. Well, I think that we should start. We should start start talking about modafinil. That's dude. Modafinil is amazing. It's like the best invention <laughs> in pharmacology ever. I mean, you can buy it in Sri Lanka, like over the counter. It's yeah. Like in that. in Argentina, uh, usually pharmacies they don't ask for any kind of prescription. They should, but yeah. So actually, that's why. Yeah, same, at least for modafinil. Like I mean, I'm, I yeah, I don't yeah, want yeah. to say that in Argentina you could get any drug on, uh, over the counter without yeah. prescription, but modafinil, uh, yeah, they are not worried about that. And yeah, yeah it's pretty safe. Um, there is, it's quite a new drug. It's from the '90s, so the information we have about long-term effects um, is like from this period of time. But yeah, there is. We, we will be sure enough that use with responsibility in the right doses and um, trying to keep the tolerance quite low, uh, yeah, it's safe enough. Um, so what's, the, what's the tolerance buildup like for modafinil? Uh, all experience I have is more based on, I mean, all information I could give is more based on my experience that actually in, in research that we could be published about that. Um, but yeah, I have a very low narcolepsy, but yeah, I can... I can sleep at any place uh, if I want. I mean, I have to... That's the opposite. You gotta have the opposite problem. It's like, the, the <laughs> thing is, I really have to... Sometimes I have to invest energy and attention to not falling asleep. I can't stay right. asleep, but it requires a constant uh, conscious aware that I shouldn't fall asleep. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I can't sleep standing up. That's one of my superpowers in... Uh, in Argentina, when you are in the subway in Buenos Aires in super rush hour, you're gonna be, you know, standing up in the in the train. There's no way you are gonna find a seat on rush hour in Buenos That's Aires. That's crazy, dude. I can't remember the last time I took a nap. Like I can't. Like it's not possible for me. Like my brain, like it's just not possible. Uh, it it goes much better during the last years, but yeah, I, I'm still... like you know you know how like normal people, like average people. Like normal people have the experience of like, you know, they go to the beach or like they're at their mom's house or like they're they're on a they're on a hammock and they're like they just fall asleep. They can't help it, right? Exactly. Never have a sleep. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, okay. for me it's like one of my my challenges, and I knew that I was gonna be able of doing that, is that um, getting into an airplane and falling asleep before the airplane um, takes off and waking up once we are in the air. I knew that I could do it. Uh, yeah, I already tried a couple of times, and I able to to reach that. Uh, so, like, so, so I've kept. So, man, I should have. I don't know why I, I should have bought like a bunch of modafinil with me when I came over here. Oh yeah, like, here it's not I, so easy to obtain. I completely, completely whiffed on that one. So, so I'm, I'm, I might ask my mom to send me some with my prescription. 
There you go. For my medication. So like, uh, uh, I used it. So like, I kept. Uh, I, I had a pack of it in my in my fridge for like emergencies, like uh, during the last year. So because the first year was completely online, right? So the first last yeah, year. Yeah, I remember. Right? And and I was I was still not fully taking the medication for my sleep. I was I was still struggling, right? And uh, I kept modafinil as like a if I just you know some nights no sleep, right? Mm. Can't right. sleep at all. I'll be up all night, dude. I'll be like I'll be like fuck it. I'll get up at two in the morning, take one modafinil, and just like crush. <laughs> <laughs> just go all straight, yeah. And just and just crush everything I have to do, and I'm like done with the work by like eight in the morning. <laughs> and I'm like yeah. fucking. But it's weird. Like modafinil is a it's it's a weird thing. Like compared to like caffeine. Well, or, I'm or, totally sure that it has a different mechanism of action. Uh, because actually the effects that they produce are are super different. There's already research done showing that actually it makes you more intelligent and in the increase the what? performance. Yeah. It increased the performance of, for example, chess players. So that's for really? me a very good test to finally like, to figure out if if it's this magic pill that do everyone think, is saying. Yeah. Do you think, do you, I mean, do you think that might be like just like a like a working memory advantage? Uh, the official answer from that you can read in every box of modafinil is that they don't know the mechanism of action, which I think it's not true. Obviously, it's oh, how do you? find this super perfect compound if you nowhere actively looking uh for so yeah uh they don't know it feels totally dopaminergic we can be totally sure about that um it feels well, for sure like i mean because i can tell you uh i've tried cocaine and like <laughs> it's not that different <laughs> I have never tried cocaine, but yeah, the people who who did it, they told me kind of the same. Is that they prefer actually modafinil for working, but yeah, it's dopaminergic. There is. Uh, I tried. I have. I have HD, uh, ADHD. Um, at least I have one psychiatrist that says that I have it. I really think that diagnosing ADHD, um, it shouldn't be thought as something that is part of yourself and it's a disorder and it's gonna be there with you forever but actually it's more something with your behavior that it could be changed in many cases not all of them with the right uh attitude and training and so being aware of why you are doing what you do um but yeah i really really struggle with adhd all my life and i tried everything i tried amphetamines and tried methylphenidate i tried uh, modafinil um yeah modafinil it's something totally different uh do you take it regularly now or no not? now i'm not taking it anymore because uh there is always work to do and if there is always modafinil around i will be always working so mm. at some point i have to stop because again it's like then you don't go to sleep since i arrived here to the netherlands i lost 10 kilos because i was so obsessed with you know the first semester at tilburg a lot of research that i should finish um from argentina and things like that. Uh, yeah, I was not eating. I was not sleeping. I was just working, 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 working. And there's always something that it could be done. Always. So, mm. yeah, that's the main that's reason the why I'm not taking Lafinil anymore. Not because it's that's... not effective, because actually it was so effective that, yeah, I, I already have the the around amount of energy and attention to keep everything in a healthy way. But, yeah, when I need it, it's, it's there. And depends on a lot of the different tasks you have to be doing. 
Uh, teaching, it has a lot of physical aspects. I mean, you have to be there in front of the blackboard. Uh, okay, I live in a Rotterdam, so arriving to Tilburg, it takes me more than one hour in, in two ways. So uh depends of what you have to do sometimes modafinil is not necessary if i have to really put a lot of my body there sometimes they have i don't know three different lectures in the same day um yeah modafinil is maybe it's not a good idea because actually so yeah, actually what i found with in my experience modafinil is like if i have to uh, switch tasks or contexts uh in a short period of time it's not good to have it's not good to be modafinil but if i have something something that's something that i have to do and I want to do it continuously for like the next six hours. Exactly. That's that's precisely exactly. What I mean. Yeah, that's that's the, that's why it's so useful for people with ADHD. Um, if I don't take modafinil, I'm doing seven different things at the same time, and I'm switching from one to another when I get bored. Uh, at some point, all of them are finished, kind of. <laughs> it's not a very effective way to do it. Uh, but with modafinil, I just choose one and I go straight until I finish it. For coding, it's the most incredible I think ever. Yeah. So for for me, for like uh, I was using it just to contract my sleep problems, right? Because I was. Cause exactly. I was you are sleeping. forcing yourself to be awake in the right moment, and actually, when yeah, exactly. the factor run off, it's like, yeah, I'm super tired. Let's go to bed. Yeah. Exactly. So like, uh, yeah, Modafinil was uh, like when I first figured out, when I first found out about it, I was like, this is crazy. How how is this? How I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It's it's uh yeah, it's out of this world. Like so I again for from my point of view, it's one of the biggest uh most important success of the pharmacological. So industry. I mean it, I think it's probably the most abused drug in in uh, Silicon Valley, I think. Probably, yeah. Pretty much sure. everyone takes it everyone takes I had very good experiences um for like treating my ADHD with this super low, um, slow release uh, methylphenidate for kids. Mm. Uh, I, re I, I, I discovered that that was the right amount of stimulation that I needed for uh, at least make me think and feel in a normal way, but with enough attention to actually be focused for on the same task for a couple of hours. Yeah, I, 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 I've tried, I, I, I had tried uh, off-label use. <laughs> but but uh, the 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 definitely I feel is calmness like it's just calm focused clear you know yeah like I don't have the same like like the go like the same like you know the push of like of Ritalin but uh, well there's something that I really enjoy about this this Ritalin this this methylphenidate it was the dose was super small because it was for kids and the slow release uh, effect was uh was keeping that anxiety at a very low level it was right, right. it was like giving me um the right uh reinforcement continuously on time for keeping me focused uh i i really recommend it for for, for those that has adhd and they are still like trying to find the right compound and my favorite uh i'm not taking it now in in the netherlands but at one point i will find it again my favorite neotropic, it's mate, the Latin American drink. Have you? Oh, ever... dude, yeah, I've heard of this. Like, uh, like, uh, like, uh, you mean like, like, uh, uh, herbal mate and like the yeah, the, exactly. The, the teas? Yeah, do I have a mate here? You, can you get it here? I mean, yes. it's just tea. It's there just tea. Delivery right? service. Uh, no, I leave it in the in the kitchen. Yeah, there is a delivery service uh, that you can order the huge package of one kilo of, of sherba mate. Oh, it's a... 
it's just tea. Like, what is it? It's yeah, actually, uh, we could think in in mate as a tea. It's a different kind of plant. Um, it's it's mate. That's that's the name. Um, it's the name is Paraguansis. Well, I, I don't remember like, the taxonomic name. Like, can you buy it like jumbo? No, right? You can. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that probably if you go to one of those expat uh, supermarkets. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of them they are gonna have it uh there are like two big communities in the world uh that the, they drink mate one is argentina obviously uh then you have well uruguay and paraguay actually mate is originally from paraguay and uruguayans people from uruguay they are huge fans of mate probably in... so what's the deal with so what's the deal with uh, mate like what's the deal? i mean uh, is there some other compound other than caffeine in it uh, it... mainly it has uh teof it's the same uh, stimulant that you are going to find in tea, but it's in much bigger concentrations. And theophylline, it's more stimulant than caffeine itself. The thing it's in cafe, in coffee, you are going to find much more um, caffeine than the amount of theophylline that you are going to find in a tea. But mm-hmm. in the case of mate, you have a lot, a lot of theophylline. Uh, maybe there could be some little bit of uh, theobromine, but I'm not so sure about that. Right. No. Yeah. Because like, uh, so personally, so I drink a lot of green tea. Uh, well, that's another good example. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, so I, I like the theanine caffeine balance. Yeah. It's like it's, it's, it's much clearer and not so much of like, the, so right now my morning routine is like, I'll take one teaspoon of coffee and one teaspoon of green tea because I want the caffeine, but I also want that the, 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 the theanine balance to like kind of nice. keep me keep me keep me keep me balanced yeah green so, tea is like, another good option for sure so actually you know like uh i i learned something interesting because you brought up adhd uh, if you take like so they did an experiment where they took um rats like mm-hmm. like young adolescent rats right and they and they deprived them of physical play mm-hmm. right and what they found was like it reduces the cortical the size the size of the size of the cortex mm-hmm. the, the cortical development gets uh, like reduced and if you and they and then you take those rats and you give them ritalin uh-huh. they behave like normal uh, oh interesting rats, right so what's also like people are pushing like more and more this idea that you know children should be you know like not be allowed to play and do all these other like physically demanding kind of like dangerous things right mm-hmm. and then and and then they're like oh this person can't concentrate we should just pump pump them full of adhd so like it's weird no because because I, I was reading because like i'm working on the drugs data set right oh yeah and I've, I've been reading so many of those bloody reviews right and i was just like holy crap because you know there are some reviews they're like okay i put my four-year-old on 30 milligrams of of uh, of midlafenidate, and I'm what? like, what the? I'm, no. and, I'm, and I'm like, what the hell? Like, like, how is that okay? Like, that's craziness. Who who was the doctor that permitted Dude, that? Yeah, no, no. I, I I read some insane reviews. Like, I, I I've also read some heartbreaking ones. Like, one guy was reviewed like he lost his wife and his daughter, uh, in like a fire or something and he and then he like fell into a depression and he wanted to kill himself and he took his medication and he, and then he was writing a review a review about that medication so i was like jesus christ dude this working on this project has been heartbreaking it's like reading, yeah, <laughs> it's like reading stories all... that is like oh my god yeah it's 
crazy. But like, anyway, I'm almost uh, almost done with that. And uh, well, can I show you my uh, report or should I just submit it first? No, you can show me your report. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, I'm, okay. I already think that I said that one of the, the lessons in one, one of the last classes, I, I, as a student, I felt so frustrated when there is no way to know if you are doing the things right or wrong, but actually you have to submit your your assignment and keep your fingers crossed and yeah. probably then you discover at when that it was too late that you were not doing what the professor was expecting yeah and i don't see the point of that so yeah you can like me right. make well, like pre-submissions and send me the your work by I, email i would check it i already i already basically finished it so i'll just send it to you anyway and excellent so you can so you can see it. but like so anyway back to this uh Related to related related to the trap to the project, but like psychi- psychiatric medication. Okay, uh, there's a huge range. Obviously, like cool. they do all kinds of they do all kinds of things. Like you know, they are super helpful. They're abused. Um, uh, it seems to me that like for a lot of these psychiatric medications, we don't really know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> like. Uh, in many, in many cases, uh, yeah, it's not total, we are not totally sure about what is happening there. And there's some evidence that a lot of medications that we were totally sure why they were working, actually at some point it was discovered that that was not the full explanation of what was happening in the brain. It happened with uh, antidepressants, with SSRIs, the selective uh, serotonin right. protein inhibitors. Um, that's actually their name, but it seems like the compound itself it could be active too and there's other hypotheses of why they're like producing these antidepressant effects uh so yeah it's it's a great mystery sometimes we have some answers uh but yeah it could be the case that those answers are actually just there for making us feel no so dumps uh but yeah actually what we know is that at like a general um perspective at the general macroscopic point of view the gen- the behavior of that patient it's uh it's getting better uh but yeah the small uh insight of why that is happening sometimes it's not so clear yeah and like and it, and it also like the you have to, some some people have to try three four maybe ten different therapists and different drugs and different doses before they find something that works yeah i was super, i was super lucky like my, my, my therapist like man that guy really really knocked knocked it out of the park with it because i was like damn but uh I was going to ask you was that uh, so actually I can tell you that so there was a time in my life I was I was uh, there was a time I was having a very bad time of it right I was pretty I was I was thinking about I was I was constantly having su- su- suicidal thoughts and uh, like I was in college actually my first degree and I just wasn't like I was just miserable and I can I can trace my path from there to now. I can I can tell you it started with one heroic psilocybin trip, right? I was like, cause cause it was weird cause like I knew had to I knew I had to do something. I was like, I have to do something or I'm going to kill myself. Like yeah, that, that, there, there's that a point, point in which there it's there, it's not an option anymore. It's like I have to do right, something. Right. Period. Yeah. So I was in I was in America and I was by myself and and and, I could, and my and there's no way I could get get like go to a therapist and start a whole therapy thing because I couldn't afford it, mm. right? Because America's expensive. And because the United like, States. <laughs> exactly. So I was I was like, fuck, I have to try something. And then I was like, you know what? 
let's just try let's just try this right let's just try it okay and i took like a pretty really big dose and i had one of the most like because i because for the first time in my life i it, it showed me that there's a different way to think about the world like the 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 way i'm thinking you, about you can it, choose how to way. perceive that in many different ways they are I, all right that, in their own way but yeah yeah it seems so obvious when you think about it but like when you're stuck in that loop yeah of, it's totally impossible to see it from inside you have to be possible to see it's impossible to see from the inside and then you're like wait a minute you mean there's another perspective it's like then, whoa 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 are you well, telling me no that way. i can't be like yeah analyze everything in a different way for sure yeah and then you start and then, and then i started this long and arduous journey of like trying to figure my shit out and then like with my with with with, with psychologists and with, with therapists i was able to like get my shit together nice. and actually actually become someone that i'm like that i'm proud of right nice. so like this plant this plants isn't it weird that our brains have just the right receptors to fit just the right compound well um that's 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 always something that it called my attention uh in the sense that it's it's not weird that there are other compounds in our environment that could fit in those receptors because you can have so many different um, sequences of amino acids uh, that at some point you are going to create uh, these pockets, these active uh, spots where molecules to bind, that at some point there is going to be a molecule in the world that can bind there, so it's going to act. Also, it could be like a, like a co-evolutionary co process. Yes, right? for sure. And there's other mysteries that... For me, it's um, it's something that we should like really, really focus our attention at some point. Like DMT, DMT, it's present in every living being in which we try to find DMT. It was there, uh, so it's in plants and it's in animals. Okay, and that's okay. That's weird enough in the sense that we don't share so many molecules in common. Okay, and and okay, maybe that was that could be enough. But no, actually, it's a psychoactive compound. That's even like weirder. And okay, but yeah, maybe it's a psychoactive compound present in plants and animals, but maybe it shouldn't have like a very special effect or even the message of this psychedelic experience. It could be something not so, I don't know, uh, meaningful, but no, it's super strong, it's super meaningful. And the message is always related with life, with nature, uh, with, with love and being someone better at some point in your life and you know try to, to heal yourself so that makes everything even like yeah totally unbelievable i think i think it's i think what, for me one of the most powerful aspects is like the feeling of that feeling of not being alone right like exactly like because you because because you know we're stuck in this physical body right for the most part and we have we have such we have so few experiences where we feel like we are outside and beyond this this shell that we that we have you know, like when you're with somebody, like when you love someone, you can have the experience. You have like that, like, but uh, this, like, uh, for me, one of the experience, strongest experiences, is, is that like knowing. It's like knowing that my actions, like I'm not an island, right? Mm. Like, and my actions matter. Like they, they, they impact people around me. They impact the world, and they're important. Like they're important. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm not just a floating head in the universe, just like by myself. That was that was really helpful for me. And, and and what's the deal with all the uh, uh, the geometric shapes? That seems very pretty Ooh, common. Well, I, there's there's a lot of uh, new discoveries in 
in that field, not so many publications, but something that everyone in the psychedelic scientific world is talking about. It's that you have in your visual cortex different layers. Uh, each one of those layers has uh, precise like functions or it's prepared for detecting specific patterns. Uh, one of the Nobel Prizes in the 60s, um, it was for these researchers that they discover uh, these this, like, different kind of activities at the at different layers. The first layer, it's it only fires when the certain lines with a precise orientation pass through your eyes and uh, trigger these, these, these neurons. So there are neurons or like family of neurons prepared just for reading lines that are, I don't know, at 45 mm -hmm. degrees, some like a horizontal or verticals, different kind of orientations. Yeah. Then the second layer combines signals from the previous layer, trying to create contours. So it's the border is just like the shape of the object that you have in front of you. And on the third layer, then you start to combine these um, contours with colors and the process of identifying the object happens. And if you train an artificial neural network, a fully connected um, neural network, what you can see if you train this, uh, this architecture for detecting different objects based on images, and you try to segment what is happening at different uh, levels of depth, you will see that actually what the, this artificial neural network is doing is replicating that same behavior that we see in uh, living beings. Uh, that at some point you only start to figure out um, the, the orientations of just part of the drawing, and then at the very like final stage of the network, you are taking the decision of what kind of object do you have with everything in the middle that we were just talking about. Uh, so psychedelics, what they do, a uh, very characteristic uh, aspect of their activity is that they reduce the alpha band uh, in the brain activity. The alpha band is, if we think in the activity in the brain as uh, an audio signal, like a song file or something like that, because actually what you are doing there is pretty similar uh, what you do with the microphone. You're just having uh, an input signal um, based on some kind of current or, yeah, in, but yeah, it's, it's, you could think in the, as a microphone. So thinking that you are recording a song, it has sense too. So in the same way that in an audio signal, you have like high frequency, medium frequency and low frequency. So in the low frequency, you have the drums and, you know, I don't know, the high frequency, maybe you have an electric guitar or something like that. In the brain, you have alpha, beta, gamma, delta, and so on. And they have like very precise range. I don't know. For example, low range in in audio is between 20 and 200 hertz for saying something. Okay, alpha it's between eight and 12 usually. And what we know about alpha is that it's present there for keeping those brain processes tasks that are that shouldn't be. Uh, how do you say? It, that should, you shouldn't be aware of or they shouldn't be part of the consciousness. So mm -hmm. if you think in the brain as a computer that it has to do a lot of different calculations just for showing you Windows, the graphical interface of, of yeah. uh, what you're using, but actually there's a lot of other, a lot of trans, uh, transistors firing for making uh, that calculation possible. Uh, with the brain, it's the same. Consciousness is the graphical user interface of, of the brain, but there is a lot of other things happening uh, and you are just perceiving the results. So everything that is happening in the brain and it shouldn't be part of the consciousness, it's 
covered with alpha waves. At some point, psychedelics, what they do is they reduce these alpha waves. So a lot of stuff that you shouldn't be seeing are in front of your eyes. So the theory says that all these geometrical patterns that you have there, it's like scanning lines or like reference patterns that our brain has for detecting objects. So what you are doing, what you are seeing the raw processing of the different visual uh, layers of the visual cortex uh, in front of your eyes. Um, you know, there is this uh, Google algorithm, deep dreaming, deep dream. Deep dream yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, I, yeah. and when you say it, see that, it's like, oh my God, this is how a, a trip on, a, of, on LSD looks like. And what actually what they are doing, it's, uh, it's, it's this same thing that I'm, I'm telling you. Um, they are taking this part, these layers, like it's a heat map of the of the different uh, patterns that uh, the 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 neural network is trying to find at different level profundity levels of uh, of the architecture. Uh, so yeah, basically we are that that uh, algorithm that creates super hallucinogenic effects. It's based on how we think that hallucination should be working, and from a yeah. biological point of view, so it has sense. Right, right, right. That like so. I mean. And that's something interesting for, for example, you are not going to be able, this, this is a very, the, like, dumb quote, like, sentence, but if you analyze it, there's a lot of very important meaning in it. You can't recognize something that you have never seen before. Uh, there's this experiment in which there is this very strange, like, black and white shapes. If you show it to a kid, the kid will see, like, two dolphins jumping or something like that. If you show it to an adult, the adult will realize that actually it's two people having sex. But the kid can't recognize sex because he has never seen sex before. And an adult, it already has like very precise patterns for recognizing that because it's important in their lives. Uh, so when we say that psychedelics are showing you what you need to see or they are showing you something related with something that you are worried or obsessed or like, like thinking about that in... In, the, in your last in the last days, it's because probably you already have that kind of patterns already prepared because you are looking that in in, the, in your daily life. And if psychedelics are putting that into evidence, they are showing you what your mind is prepared for looking for in the reality. That's so like yeah, for like one of the, like the, the so I've been practicing meditation for a long time, and it's like for me like like taking psychedelic and in, in conjunction with meditation so like it's like like it's been a really incredible combination. we have a paper about that in which uh that was a work from rocio Vivot. um she was a member of our lab another one of uh, gr uh great success papers from from elson and Kofuko. um i was part of that of that uh, work too um they were measuring um, the different brain activity of uh, professional meditators, people who was doing meditation for 10 or 12 or 20 years. Um, we were trying to figure out the different like mental patterns in during that meditation. And actually, many of them were comparable, like were very similar um, to the ones that we can see in psychedelics. So, yeah, meditation, uh, people who really know how to do it, they are producing a mental so state that is in some way similar to having psychedelics so the last time i took i took i took psilocybin uh, i was in a sauna mm -hmm. uh, and i was meditating I was, I was meditating in the sauna 
and one of the it's a very incredible experience like, like I, i could feel every single drop of sweat <laughs> coming like i could feel it coming out of my pores like i could feel every single because i because I, i practice a lot of mindful mindfulness meditation mm-hmm. so i tried i just i just did it i just did the same thing i do every day just with psilocybin right and that it just added to that intense experience of that moment every single moment from moment to moment it's like it's like boom boom boom, boom. is it's it's sure. it's really it's really it's really quite something anyway Federico this has been almost two hours I want to be respect <laughs> I, I want to be respectful of your time no please uh, don't worry it was super interesting and super fun it, like uh, thank you so much for uh, sitting down with me today and just talking about all this stuff like we should definitely do this again for sure week. for sure there I have much um many other stories and research that we are doing absolutely absolutely maybe like uh, yeah definitely like absolutely for sure thank you so much okay. for your time and uh, thank you for joining me in this conversation i hope you got something out of it and until next time i'll see you all.